Being around sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA, and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment for the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Thursday, May the 6th, and we continue to roll along with our recap and coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft. We get to bring in someone from the outside to come in front of the show. Uh, the one, the only. The, uh, it used to be an underdog. Now he's an overdog. Now he's back to being an underdog. Josh Norris. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Forever an underdog, as now with Underdog Fantasy. Yes, Will. Love always talking with you. So thrilled to be here. Uh, it feels like the draft was yesterday, but also three months ago. So I'm excited to run through some more stuff with you. I know. And, uh, look, we'll get to it. First of all, I didn't know. So your title is, to, you, your, your Twitter handle is just, it's just content at underdog. Or is so, you, did you, I feel like you might have director or something <laughs> fancy attached to your title and you, but you're too humble to put that onto your Twitter handle. Is that true or false? Well, you know this. Well, I mean, I worked at NBC for, for eight years. Yep. Uh, it is so drastically different going from a media conglomerate Love to that. a place that has 20 employees that right. I'm one of those now. Uh, so basically all the content that we do, it's just me and Hayden Winks. Like in this past month and a half, we have built out this entire content arm of, of written content on the underblog, a video content on our YouTube channel, and then the underdog football show for audio content. So rather than, you know, specifically reference and have a title that has seven names. I just went with content. I, don't I, like know. It. I like it. And then like Jack Settleman, who's, um, I tweet, I see all the time. Cause he tweets about top shot is like yes. winning. Is he actually at underdog or is no, it? No, no, no. So I would say Hayden and I are the only employees for content, but then we have a whole bunch of partnerships. Now we have one with ETR established to run. We have Peter Overzet. We have Jack Settleman. We have a whole bunch of others, Matt Kelly, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be this under, summer of underdog here, Will, and I'm uh I'm glad I'm just here preaching the word for it. Well, I gotta tell you, and so I mean, we're we're gonna get to the draft stuff, but it is I do want to talk about underdog because I think that this year I found myself increasingly, Josh, over the last couple of years, getting really burned out by season long fantasy. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I won't do it. CBS has a wonderful platform. I love it. I just did a mock draft with the fantasy guys. I would I'll do tons of leagues, but I I've, I've gotten in big into DFS, and I think this might be the year where I, I like dive head first into best ball. Have you ever tried best ball before? I did one last year on DraftKings that like I won yeah. a ticket for it and I did it and I won, I won some money and I, I didn't have to do anything. I drafted and then left it alone. It was glorious. Yes. <laughs> no it is. You remember those infomercials for the rotisserie thing, the set it and forget it. That's yeah. exactly what we're doing here. I mean, everyone out there knows fantasy football you play your office leagues or with college buddies or whoever else and you all know like the best part of playing fantasy football is drafting 
Well, best ball, that's it. All you do is draft. There's no waivers. There's no trades. There's no lineup settings. Whoever drafts the best wins in the end because it sets your optimal lineup each and every week. There's no kickers. There's no defense. There's none of those points each week that terrorizes you and, and then ends up in a loss. Um, it's 18 rounds. We have, you know, one off with $3, $6, $10. We also have Best Ball Mania 2 going on right now that has actually, well, the highest season long prize of all time, a million dollars to first place, a three and a half million dollar prize pool. And again, if any of you out there are just like itching to start drafting or you want to prepare for your season long leagues with all your buddies, best ball is the best way to do it because there's actual money at stake. So the ADP is the best it can possibly be over underdog. So again, everyone out there, go and check out underdog fantasy and check out the best ball drafts. It's so, so, so much fun. I even liked them well before I was even an employee. I played them all the time. I, I was, I had not used underdog until. Before the draft, I downloaded the app and started messing around on it and put some money in there. Uh, you know, support the, you know, you want to support your friends and family and all that. I appreciate um, you. Yeah. And there's a, there's a free 25 bucks. So you have a cheapskate. Yes. Um, the app is fantastic. It's, it's amazing. Like, it's really like, I mean, it is a really smooth and useful and easy to operate app. And you don't, you don't, you, it, that's, that's a good feeling to have. Um, and then I saw, you know, you guys had a big kickoff drafting and the investors in it are it's like, like, it's like Mark Cuban. Yeah. Dog and like Adam Lefko. What is happening? What, what is yeah. I mean, it's also a bunch of rappers that I've never heard of, but I, I know that yeah, like kids Wiz, like them. Let's Wiz, say Wiz Khalifa and Lefko. What, I, it was very, it was, it was awesome. It's great. It's a good list of people. Nas, future DJ. Nas, Nas is an investor. Uh, you know, my friend Jared Goff, who I've only praised in my entire football <laughs> career is an investor as well. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Mark Cuban. There's Wilson Chandler. It, it, it's a great group. Again, if anyone out there goes and signs up, Use promo code Josh Norris. I'll see what I can do to try to help you out. Uh, it, like you said, the app is incredible. Uh, and then desktop is great as well. And it's on Android. So we're all over the place. Well, uh, and as you said, you're doing content over there. And one of the first pieces of content you did leading up to the draft, of course, your final mock draft, which Josh, I'm not sure if everybody saw this or not, but we've certainly referenced it on the show. I haven't you talked about it at all. Yet. What's that? I haven't talked about it at all. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, you were, you were profiled in, on USA Today. You broke the record for most points scored in the Huddle Reports mock draft history dating back to 2012. Uh, I believe you were pounding Prosecco, uh, on a live stream <laughs> yeah. with sunglasses in the middle of the draft celebrating the, uh, the record breaking. And I, and like, honestly, I thought I, 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 uh, and I obliterated the draft from a props perspective. It was awesome. Good. Biggest. Winning weekend of my life gambling uh, over the draft. Uh, you helped in a big way, but and I thought my mock draft crushed it. But I was like, you, you, you killed this thing. How good were you feeling going into it? And I think you got sixteen players, sixteen half of the first round to the correct team. Yeah, like, look, if we're really going to try to propel my head to even bigger sizes right now, well, you only you mentioned 2012. This goes back to 2000. Oh, okay. uh, Rick, Rick Goslin. And Nolan Narotti, the goat, the goat, Rick Goslin, uh, in 2006 had the best mock draft of all time. And I think they got on the huddle report 56 points. Uh, and I was able to get 59 this past weekend. Like you mentioned, it's 16, um, 16 of the 32 I picked correctly for their team, uh, starting off with eight for eight and then nine of 10. That, on some of one, I, I think because of your props and I know the odds shifted and everything and you know, the odds aren't shifting based on information. It's basically shifting right. the public. And, uh, I, I think we were both able to take advantage of that, let's say. Um, but I've really had the eight picks nailed 
And even heading into it, I thought it was like too chalky. You know how you get that feeling? I, I, I had the exact, I was, I was sitting there two days before the draft and I was texting with some buddies and we're like, I mean, we're like heavily leveraged on this, on this yes. prop. And it was like, I was like, man, we were really confident about these first six picks. I was like, that's probably a bad thing. I know. <laughs> I thought the, I, I, like, <laughs> I thought some wrench was going to get thrown in. I, I knew I'd been told that it was going to be Trey Lance at number three for about 10 days before then. And so that was obviously one pivot point. And then the other pivot point was probably number seven with the Lions and Panay Sewell. And where they could trade out and all that stuff. I just never thought, Will, that Panay Sewell would be able to be on the board and last until pick number eight. And so I just thought that he would still be gone, either it's to them or the Chargers or someone yeah, else. Yeah, the Chargers trading up. It just felt like the Lions right. were desperate to get out of there, but apparently they love Sewell. So. Right. And so if Sewell's off the board – then if the Panthers weren't going to trade down, then they were going to take JC Horn. And yep. so eight for eight, that's, that's how that started. And it made sense from like, because what, what happens and what I've noticed working in quote unquote the business for the last 10 years is the insiders are wonderful. You know, like sure. they do a really good job of being able to like project certain areas of the draft and even nailing some, you know, late fits with players as well. But. From someone that from a very early age has just followed and tracked the Panthers from for very long. Yep. What I do is I identify those types of people with other teams as well. So like I want to shout out Joe Goodberry with the Cincinnati Bengals, who sure. to me from a very early point said, no, it's Jamar Chase. It's not Panay Sewell, right? Then got involved with some Dolphins people. And <laughs> I was told that even if it wasn't going to be Devontae Smith, that Jalen Waddle makes sense from a roster construction standpoint where you have Will Fuller on the outside and Devontae Parker on the inside and Jalen Waddle in the middle. And we can keep going on and on with all these. But to me, the most beneficial aspect was identifying who was like me with their teams and would have a good idea. Uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm giving you my process now. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah that makes sense. And, but and, I wouldn't and, be able to tell you for sure. Yes. But they would have a very good idea. Correct. Much more than I would and probably much more than like – an insider's perspective who's getting texts from scouts on 32 different teams. You know what I'm saying? Right. So they're able to, to connect those like Zayvon Collins or, or Jamin Davis or so on and so forth. So that, that's really how it, how it worked out. And you know, the stars aligned and yeah, it's the summer of 59. Will and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm milking this thing for all it's worth. Let's put it As that you way. Should. As you should, Josh, you, it's well deserved. Let's talk about some of the, the picks. Uh, you and I, you and I DM some, uh, leading into it and you had, you love the waddle under. At 11 and a half, that was you know, slam dunk. And, and you had Waddle going six to the Dolphins. And probably the reason why I ended up get, you know, getting Waddle six to the Dolphins. I'm, you know, tailing you on that one. Um, what did you think about that? Like, I mean, cause there's a difference between doing a mock draft based yeah. on what you're hearing and, and how you think it'll play out versus your thought process on Waddle, the player versus Devontae Smith versus, you know, the Dolphins move there. And how do you think that Dolphins team looks this year? Uh, I, I can't remember whether you were high or low on Tua coming out. Well, I, I was higher on Tua than Justin Herbert. I'm not perfect I, here, Will. Who, I mean, who, who, who was, who, who amongst us didn't right. make that? Now, but there, there's no excuses for Tua anymore. And I love the Jalen Waddle selection. Again, from the standpoint of you have Wilfo on the outside, Devontae Parker on the outside. And, and what Jalen Waddle does so well is take those one to seven yard receptions and he just moves differently after the catch. Like just watching him. Like the more I do this, the more I realize like how aesthetically pleasing some of these players are. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Waddle is absolutely that. He's always in control. But then when you have a corner or a safety or even a linebacker who's then going to try to crash down and and make that tackle in space, 
boom, he hits you up the field and like goes straight over your face to, to connect on these vertical routes. And just that dynamic overall, at least in year one is just a slot player, uh, is going to be highly intriguing. Um, and then, well, I am certain they were going to take Javante Williams with their second round pick, but they were leapfrogged by the Denver Broncos. That's so what we have, what we have to figure out this summer is like, how much do they really love the backs on the rosters right now and Miles Gaskin and, and Malcolm Brown? Because one of those players is going to be a tremendous value. It stinks because from a fantasy perspective, like I really like Javante Williams. I watched him up close. He shredded NC State as did yeah. Michael Carter. Um, and he would have been a perfect fit for the Dolphins, you know, and whereas now he's got to deal with uh, a good fit for the Broncos too, but he's got to deal with uh, old Melvin, old Melvin Gordon there. I, I agree. I think Tua, it's, it's unfortunate. It really the worst thing to ever happen to Tua is Justin Herbert. You know, know. like if Justin Herbert, it, or actually it's, it's the worst thing that ever happened is that trainer jabbing Tyrod in the, in the side. Cause if he doesn't do that and, <laughs> and Justin Herbert doesn't play, yeah. the, I think the expectations are lower for Tua, but, you know, it's year two and there, it already is feels like a make or break year. And it's not hard to imagine Jacoby Brissett out there in week three. Or no, I, I know. And where Tua is and was during his rookie year, I thought he actually played better in like second half of games and it was consistently. Yeah. And it's weird. Like that didn't make any sense, but also will he was out there plenty of times with absolute scrubs. Um, and so he was having to create a lot. All he has to do in this offense is be a distributor. But even when I went back and watched Alabama in preparation for all these wide receivers and, and Mac Jones, you kind of saw Mac Jones do a little bit more at times than what, than what Tua showed there. Um, I'm not out on Tua at all. In fact, at least now he has an offensive coordinator who actually wants to work with him rather than stick with his guy and Ryan. There's Patrick. two offensive coordinators. That yes. is a red flag, by the way. Yeah. Well, that's true. What if, if you have two, that means you don't have one. Is that the uh, old it, thing? NC State rolled out two offensive coordinators. No. It was an S show, man. I'm telling you what it was. Everything is rooted in NC State. I understand. I understand. Yeah, that's how my life operates. Um, feel, feel, feel bad for everyone in my life. that It falls right now. Uh, but, I, mention Mac Jones. Don't move on from yeah. the Dolphins, but I'm curious about, we talked about this too, that it, was not going to be Mac at three. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the 49ers ever considered Mac at three? Do, 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 do you believe there were, so, I mean, like, and I, I don't want to, I know Mike Lombardi had said this past week that he thought that the 49ers got like Twitter shamed into drafting Trey Lance, yeah, which he's just, wrong. Right. He's just wrong. It's, it's crazy. But do you believe that Mac was ever in play at any point uh, after they traded up? To the number three overall pick. By the way, I forgot that we DM'd on April 18th. And so now I'm reading through all these live. I will not read them out loud, but I think we hit on every single one. We, hit, we crushed it. We crushed it. <laughs> like I was, I mean, I was thinking about that. We went, we were going back and forth on it. It was like, you know, the Panthers could easily go with a cornerback waddle at six. Yeah. We, we, we smashed it. That, that was sort of what, like, there you go. <laughs> April 18th, 2021, 10 55 PM from me. Don't rob me of this take. But I think Miami goes waddle over Chase at six. Yeah, exactly. Over Chase, four exclamation points. Over oh, over Chase. Chase. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you knew that they loved waddle. That was it. Yep. Waddle over yep. Chase would have blown the lid off the draft. You're still willing yep. to go on fifth. Um, okay. So to your point about San Francisco and Mac Jones and the Trey Lance dynamic, I, I think this was the root of it was all of the reports connecting Mac Jones to the 49ers is Rooted in generalizations. 
It was rooted from those outside the league and inside the league saying, oh, the type that Kyle always had was this pocket passer that hit the open receiver in time and in stride. Um, it was never from within the 49ers organization. I think that kind of is a point that was glossed over with all these reports when it was, you know, 98% sure, whatever. Why then? I understand, like, Jimmy was hurt, and that was the crux of that first press conference as soon as they made it, like, oh, well, Jimmy's been out two of the last three years. But why would you trade two extra first-round picks plus a fourth to just get more of the same? Right. That never lined up to me. And, well, I, I've said this on my show, so I'll say it on your show, too. Kyle was sick of Jimmy's stuff heading into last season, and so he spent a while evaluating quarterback prospects. And the one that he liked that he thought he could get that was not named Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields at the time was Fields. Oh, excuse me, was Lance. It was, it was Lance. Was right. Trey Lance. Um, now, that was before Mac Jones had his season. So, like, that thought always crept in my head a little bit of, well, what if after watching Mac, you know, yeah. during his final season, shined and, and shown exactly what he wanted to. But uh, but with Trey Lance, and, and this is the other part of it, Will, you can't sit Trey Lance again. He just sat an entire season. You can't do it for two straight years. And after after Kyle put Jimmy Garoppolo six feet under, like, Trey Lance is starting at least 12 games this season. I'm I agree. I 100% agree. But I also think there's a very good chance. Remember, Jimmy G, when they when they traded for him, he sat for five weeks before he played. Yeah. Where they rolled him out there. And then they were like, all right, we've got a couple of games to go. Let's roll him out there. And he, what, he went 5-0 and to, to finish off the season. I think they will start the year with Jimmy. And if he's, you know, if they're, if they're undefeated or something like that, I don't think they'll yank the, you know, pull yeah. the trigger. But if, you know, Jimmy's not putting up massive numbers or playing really well, you know, if he, if he goes 2017 Alex Smith on, on the 49ers offense, then they'll, I think they'll let him play. But to your, you're right. You cannot have Trey Lance, this guy that you invested all of this capital in spend almost 700 and I guess it'd be 840 days or whatever it is without playing a, a right. football game. That and just wouldn't work. The core of the decision was that the 49ers believed when they lost the Super Bowl and now that they might have the best roster in the NFL. Right. And so, you know, we no longer get the Nick Mullen or the CJ Beathard of the world. Like at worst, we get Jimmy Garoppolo on the field. We actually had Adam Schefter on our show on Monday, the underdog football show. Subscribe yes. on whatever podcast platform you use. Um, and he said, this, this is totally counterintuitive to what the national media was saying that the 49ers believe that Trey Lance is more ready to start in 2021 than Mac Jones. Right. I mean, I am telling you, Trey Lance is starting at least 12 games a season and I absolutely love it. And it, it's going to be rocket ships for Debo, for Brandon Ayuk, for George Kittle, how great that offensive line is for whatever running back, hint, hint, wink, wink, Trey Sermon, because they invested so much in him as well, especially for a head coach that doesn't invest anything at the running back position. I am stoked to watch this 49ers team. I am, uh, I am with you. And Trey Sermon, by, by the way, Trey Lance plus 650 to win offensive rookie of the year award at William Hill currently. I think you hold off and wait until right before the season. Cause I don't you, mm. I, if Jimmy G gets traded, that's going to drop down. Um, but I think you can wait on that and hope that Jimmy G is your starter week one. And then Trey Lance comes in for 12 games. Cause it, it doesn't matter if you only play 12 games. Yeah. Owners don't care. If you're a rocket ship taking your team to the playoffs in the, at the end, then you're, you'll get points. What, one more th- on the on the actual pick itself, and I said this a bunch leading up to it, and I'm, I think it bears repeating afterwards. Seth Wickersham wrote a feature piece on ESPN 
that he didn't talk to Kyle, but he was recounting his discussions with Mike Shanahan. And Mike Shanahan's chief lament of his, I think, Hall of Fame-worthy career was that he never, after Elway, he never went over the top on the quarterback and that he 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 tried to let his offense carry everything for him. He you know, plugged Jake Plummer in and win like that. And he never went and found that that ideal alpha quarterback for his offense to unleash everything. And that's that's what he regrets more than anything because he w- believes he would have won like four Super Bowls or five Super Bowls. Right. And, that's Kyle's dad. You think he's not, like, you think he's not talking, you think he's bouncing this decision off his dad at all? Of course he is. So that always informed it to me a little bit, Josh, that, that well, Kyle doesn't want his offense to win a Super Bowl. He wants to take, take a rocket ship to the moon. I, I believe Mike Shanahan visited Kyle about two or three weeks in January. Uh, and maybe Mike had some loose lips on the golf course. That's all I can say. Uh, interesting. But, um, but yeah, I'm totally with you. Like when you're in this and how often when you're a decision maker of, of an NFL team, do you have like this monumental of a crossroads moment? You know, it truly was a crossroads moment for Kyle where we figured out exactly his type, exactly what he wants, because there were in some level three different styles. Yeah. And he picked the one that he wanted. Well, and- well let me ask you, that. how do you think? What does this offense look like with Trey Lance? Like, what is it, what is it different than what it is now? I mean, is it, do you think they incorporate the RPOs? Do you think they use, use more running? I mean, like, what, what do you think they'll try to blend into that? Yeah. So it, it kind of goes back to the generalization point where, you know, every quarterback is a Kyle Shanahan fit, right? <laughs> every quarterback that can throw a football over the middle of the field can hit those open wide receivers. Um, now we also know that against great defenses, maybe even Super Bowl caliber defenses, they are able with two weeks in preparation or whatever to figure out what the offense most likely is going to try to do inside of structure. Mm. And so now he has the ability, he has a player back there that when it all is figured out can elevate him. And he's never had that before. Maybe since, I don't know, RG3's rookie year for the first half of that season or that entire season. So, Part while we all think Kyle has an ego, he absolutely has an ego, and he absolutely runs that organization. We've seen the best quarterbacks in the league now. Even if they make some mistakes here or there, you also have a type in Trey Lance who, sure, if he makes one to two to three bad decisions per game, he also has three to five plays per game that will turn a loss into a win. And this is the first time in a very long time that Kyle has a quarterback like that, and it's going to maybe be the difference between a consistent playoff team and one that could be a top two, top three team in the NFL. And, and that's what they want. They don't want to settle for a, you know, you go to the Super Bowl with a 10 point lead in the second, in the fourth quarter, and you watch Patrick Mahomes make magic. Correct. That, that's, that was the reality of this draft. That's why it wasn't going to be Mac Jones and no offense to Mac Jones who, you know, is a, is a perfectly uh, good And player. I like Mac Jones. Yeah. I'm excited for him in the Patriots. Yeah. yeah I mean, like that fit with the Patriots, if it was going to be anywhere else other than the 49ers, the one with the Patriots makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm interested to see how early he starts as well. Um, I know Bill immediately came out and said, Cam's the quarterback. You and I have both tracked Cam's career from the jump. <laughs> yeah. And it's such, it's such a difficult talking point. And dilemma because Will, 
he never got the credit he deserved in early in his career as like a true pocket passer plus. Yeah. That's what, that's what Cam has been doing his entire career. But even me, the biggest on field Cam apologist of all time, I think it's over, you know? Oh man. And, and if it's, and if it's not over after like in week one, I think it's over in week four and week six because even if it, if they say it or they don't, I think that shoulder just will get worse throughout the entire season. Now, that situation in New England is an amazing situation because of how great they've reloaded that offensive line. I mean, you have Isaiah Wynn, hopefully he can stay healthy, Trent Brown at right tackle, Michael Owinwu, uh, Shaq Mason, David Andrews at center. You've add all these middle of the field pass catchers, um, fit with Josh McDaniels. I, look, maybe they even still, and I would not rule this out well, maybe they even still make a move for Jimmy Garoppolo. But if they don't, I bet Mac Jones gets in there fairly early as well. And part of the problem with Cam, I agree with you. It was, it was tough. It was tough to watch him down the stretch. And, you know, oh, he was starting to, again, it always comes back to NC State, but his number one receiver was Jacoby Myers. I mean, you know, like that's not where you want to be. They, they beefed it up. I, Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar are fun additions, but the real meat of that is Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. I think the problem for Cam in terms of staying healthy, Josh, is that in that offense, he is, he is, has structured runs more often especially in the red zone, even then he was doing in Carolina. He was doing yeah. in Carolina. And those runs at his age with all of his surgeries just – He's not 22 him. anymore. Yeah, yeah. He can't plow through defenders anymore. And it just – you can't play this game like that forever, even as even if you're like shaped like a defensive end. Uh, it just it just won't work. So I think you're right. I think we see Mac Jones uh, at fairly early in the season. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about a couple more teams in the NFL draft. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, so the Panthers, I was, we were, we were, I, were we, maybe we were tweeting about this, but I'm curious about your overall thoughts on their draft, their first draft under Scott Federer, for, because for a long time, gosh, I mean, for as long as we've been following this team, probably, it's been easy to figure out who the Panthers are going to take in the draft because it's either Marty Herney, who's you know, getting leaned on by Jerry Richardson, or it's the typically, uh, 
a predictable Dave Gettleman who we'll get to in a minute. But this is a, you know, this was kind of a, not a wrench in the process. It's just, you know, you're starting to, you have to, you're learning new traits about yes. people in charge of a team. And we found that Scott Fitterer is very much a trade down guy, right? So I agree with what you're saying, but also disagree at points. Um, one, I think previous first round picks under Marty Herney got out because Marty liked to talk. That's, uh, that's, that's true. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Marty, Marty literally let, got fired as a GM, went to be a <laughs> sports radio guy, and then came back to the GM. He likes to talk. Yes. The old PR guy. Wasn't he the old PR guy for two? Uh, he was. I mean, he wrote, he wrote for the newspaper before he, he got hired with the Panthers organization. Anyways, not to bury Marty. I've done that enough with the last eight years. <laughs> um, with the Panthers now, Will, I'd love to see that they have a legitimate process. Yeah. You know, like, with Marty, going back to him, he was someone who had a great first-round track record. But then in round two, he might take a tremendous athlete with size and then in round three, take a non-NFL caliber athlete. There were no of these thresholds or or traits or from an athletic standpoint or an age or like a Power 5 conference or any of this stuff. We know with Matt Rule now, he cares about athleticism. Yep. And then they want to accumulate as many picks as possible. That's it. And I yeah, love it. I, think, I want to say, Josh, that they went the only non P five guy on their draft class this year is Brady Christensen too. That's yeah. just an interesting thing to monitor because I, I didn't necessarily, you know, Scott Fitterer came from Seattle, right? So, you know, who the hell knows? I mean, you know, who, who knows? All you know is that John Schneider is going to draft the hit, like the hipster band that you've never heard of. That's, <laughs> that's the first round. That's all you know. But I, I was a little surprised that they sort of, they kind of stayed uh, in, in, in that lane for the most part, even Christensen, you know, an older prospect who, if, do you think the scene, how big, how big of a factor do you think the senior bowl was for them too? Oh, huge. I mean, I, I don't know how many people they took from there, but it's this, like, it's like 60% of the draft at least. Okay. And then I know like with the Titans outside of Caleb Farley, like six of their seven picks came from the senior bowl. Like all these teams, all we heard from insiders was that it was a difficult year to predict. Not so much. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that there was less in. That's the Dickie V dunked on music. You can get that for the insiders. And that there was, uh, less information than ever. Um, but going back to the Panthers real quick, it's, it's a process and teams that have vision and the same vision for years and years and years are, I think, the ones that come out on top. And maybe I'm biased here because how the Panthers seemingly are now running their organization is probably if I got a shot of drafting teams, how I would do it, where you take athletes, you try to develop them, and they've already done that pretty well with like Robbie Anderson who was misused, and now you get into Joe Brady offense, and Matt Rule comes from the college game. And so he actually wants to develop these players into better players. So that's where athleticism, and it can be varied depending on the position. But to me, that's why it's important because like if you're in a one-on-one situation at wide receiver or cornerback or, or pass rusher or offensive line, just having a great athlete profile is a significant natural advantage. And it's pretty yeah. clear that Matt Rule cares about that. Um, and then if that doesn't work, guess what? Rather than if you're Dave Gettleman never trading, you only, other than this year, but previously, let's say with his Panthers years, only having five or six or seven picks a year, then you have to hit on those. Right. But now if you draft eight times, nine times, 11 times, there's more opportunities to hit on those athletes that actually, you know, have that football capability as well. So I love this process so far. I don't know if you want me to talk about Terrace Marshall. I don't know how much time we have, 
But, but yeah, no, we're we're good on time. Um, this Terrace Marshall pick is unbelievable. Well, what do you think? Well, I I I love it because this is first of all process, right? You know, you talk about like you you used information you were able to get that you didn't believe other people had to to fashion their mock draft the best way you can. You know who has information that other people didn't have in this weird year? Joe Brady, because he used to coach Terrace Marshall. And if you take the risk on him in the third round, as opposed to taking the risk on somebody, he's a first round talent, right? Joe, uh, this connection with Terrace Marshall to Joe Brady is wonderful. Like people view Terrace Marshall as just a one year player because he kind of fulfilled that slot role that Justin Jefferson left behind for the draft. And then obviously Jamar Chase. No, he, went the, he went the second round. Sorry. No, he went the second round, not third round. I said third round. He did 27 in the second round. I was just going to roll with it. Will. that's fine. Um, but. I was staring at Brady Christensen's name on our lads, the three, and it was just blazing in my head. The reason I love this pick, because a lot of people viewed Terrace Marshall as, um, or I would say the Panthers as needing a tight end. Like that's the piece that they were away. The third wide receiver for Joe Brady is much more significant and vital for his offense mm. than, than the tight end. I mean, we forget this, even with Teddy Bridgewater and PJ Walker and whoever else you want to mention. Um, Four players for the Panthers last year went over 1,000 scrimmage yards. Think about that. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, and Mike Davis all went over 1,000 scrimmage yards. So I'm not go. Ahead. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that Terrace Marshall and Curtis Samuel are like the same player at all. But there's a major opportunity there for Terrace Marshall during his rookie season to go over 1,000 scrimmage yards because his replacement, Curtis Samuel's replacement was David Moore, and he's like a one-trick role player as a downfield player. Terrace Marshall's an outside-to-inside type who, by the way, they used Robbie in the slot last year. They used Curtis in the slot last year. They used DJ Moore in the slot last year. It just makes too much sense. Yeah, and I I had mentioned this several times leading up to the draft, too, and I was really surprised when I got pushback on it at all. But the Panthers' depth chart at wide receiver was not that robust Mm-mm. going into the draft. I mean, DJ Moore is in, you know, they picked up his option over the course of the draft, I believe. So that gives him two more years. Robbie Anderson is in the final year of his contract. I would anticipate that he resigns with his buddy, Matt Rule, who, you know, coached him at Temple, but you never know. And I mean, after that, it was David Moore. And that's not going to work. <laughs> you, know, you can't have David Moore as your, if DJ Moore gets hurt, it, 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 you know, DJ David Moore and Robbie Anderson it's going to cut it if you're trying right. to elevate Sam Darnold, you know? So, right. uh, yeah, I think the, the Marshall pick was very nice. They traded back. They got him out of that spot with Tevin Jenkins when they could have taken the tackle there. And then they trade back again in the third round. That's where they get Brady Christensen. Uh, I'm not sure. Do you think that they have enough at left tackle and on that offensive line to protect a, uh, a potential PSD, PSTD filled, uh, Sam Darnold? Well, I think what they're doing what the Buffalo Bills did a couple seasons ago, where they have a couple locked in starters with Taylor Moten and, and Matt Paradis. Mm-hmm. And then the other three spots, they're trying to figure out the best three available. Okay. And I mean, they're obviously free agent signings indicate that with Cameron Irving, with Pat Elfline. We know Dennis Daly is there and he's had starts in his history. So has John Miller. Trent Scott has had starts in his past. So like there are basically six names plus Brady questions and maybe seven to start in three different spots. Um, I did not mention Greg Little, a former Marty Herney special in the second round, because I don't think Greg Little is going to be in this roster. In mm. one. Um, but it it's important to figure out those front five, five blockers. And I, I say this with every team and I bring up offensive line, maybe more than others, because well, when you survey 
teams that are most successful in the season or in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl, it's all because they have a cohesive and yeah. talented and healthy offensive line. Because we know how often teams search for starters in, in the offseason at tackle or guard or whatever. And then think about having to do that midseason at two or three different spots. The Super Bowl is a perfect example. It train wrecks you. It train wrecks you when you lose two or three starters. And so the Bills have done a tremendous job of trying to reload when their starters then go on and get money elsewhere. And I think the Panthers are on that same path right now. Uh, Dave Gettleman, we can't talk about the draft without talking about Dave Gettleman. That SOB wrecked my mock because he traded back. I had originally, I can't remember, I was, I was debating and debating and debating and debating. I was like, no, he will not pass up Devontae Smith. It's about mm. Devontae Smith's going to get to him because I would, didn't think the Cowboys and the Eagles would trade. I mean, that's that's weird, man. You don't you don't trade when you're those two NFC East teams. And Dave Gettleman traded back. It was a pretty stunning move. Do you think that Dave Gettleman was this more about showing the world that he is willing to trade back? Was this more about he finally got an offer that was so obscene that he was willing to you know, willing to do it? Or, you know, is this, a, is this a guy who's flipped over a new leaf at the ripe old age of however, however old he is? Oh, Dave Gettleman has not changed his stripes. Uh, I know he traded back twice this time. I'm also a complete lunatic, Will, and I go back and watch every single post-draft press conference. I know you do. This is, that is, that is the most insane thing I've ever heard of some of the media doing. But, but you pick up tidbits, you pick up nuggets, and you figure out how these guys approach this as a result. Yeah. I try to have a personal life too, and that doesn't work out. I choose press conferences over personal life. Um, hey, you want to go to dinner? Uh, I'm watching Dave Gettleman. It's 45 minute. Dude, you have no idea. <laughs> By the way, Joe Douglas is like my new enemy because he says absolutely nothing in 45 minutes. Um, but a- about Dave Gettleman. Yeah. This was just a case where I actually think Gettleman felt like he had less information on these players than ever. I and mean, when you think about it, he wants to meet them face to face. He wants to, you know, rough them up and like put them through the paces and all that stuff. You couldn't do that this year. Guess when you're going to be able to do that? Next year's draft. So acquiring a future first round pick that he did to me was final, the, the final signal of, okay, I am willing to trade back because I get extra, extra draft capital when I'm going to feel more confident with these players. Now the trade back was great. Will, uh, the number 20 pick, let's try to figure out how. Or 21, I should. No, well, 20. Yeah, 20 with Kadarius Tony. Let, let's try to. 20 for a future first is pretty crazy. Like that's, that's expensive. It is. Well, it was was for a quarterback, right? So, or 11 to 20, excuse me. Right. So Tony fitting in this offense is one of those times, and we see this across the NFL. We see teams look at the 49ers, look at the Chiefs, look at some other teams and say, Oh, they have a player who can take a negative two yard catch and turn it into a 37 yard gain and like manufacture yards. We need one of those types. Yeah. Let's go get them. So you already have, you already have Kenny Galladay. You already have Sterling Shepard. You already have Darius Slayton. You already have Evan Ingram. And now you want to manufacture touches for someone at the line of scrimmage when you're play caller is Jason Garrett, who has never done that in this history. It makes no sense. It makes zero sense. Do you think it was as simple? I, I, the other thing I think, I don't think Dave Gettleman trades back if the Eagles don't jump him for Devontae Smith. He basically said that he said, as soon as the Eagles traded up, um, then that was a signal for me to move back. Mm. Because that's how he is. If he, if he is a guy in mind, I think he just loved Devontae Smith. If he, if, if Devontae Smith came to him, he's not taking a future first to move back. Correct. Uh, even though that's probably the right process. 
Would you rather have Kadarius Tony in a first round pick or Devontae Smith? Devontae Smith. Maybe okay. I just don't get Kadarius Tony. He gives me, and maybe this name remem- reminds you of someone, uh, Carlos Henderson. You remember that name coming out of, uh, Louisiana Tech? Louisiana Tech. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, just, just the, after- from the 49ers, right? Yeah. Uh, the Broncos, I believe. Oh, it was the Broncos. Yeah. Um, he didn't this, last long, did he? this after catch demon. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing with Kadarius Tony is he had like the 320th highest yards, intended air yards per, per target. Like his A dot was 7.7 yards. And I just didn't see like legitimate wide receiver things from him. And look in this offense, when you have three legitimate wide receivers and Saquon Barkley, I mean, right. I guess you and Evan Ingram, like you won't, you won't have to, but I don't know. Like on average, I would put the under at six touches per game for Kadarius Tony. I just, again, I, I, I truly feel like they saw all these other. And look, I, I mean, this reminds me, you remember when Dave Goodwin's last draft with the Panthers, they just needed playmakers and they took Christian McCaffrey in the top 10. And then his second round pick was Curtis Samuel. Yes. And a lot of people thought that, you know, they canceled each other out a little bit, did the exact same thing. I don't think people still give enough credit for how good Curtis Samuel is as a route runner, like a legitimate receiver. But maybe in this time of need as well, Dave went back to the well of, okay, we can give Tony backfield touches like we were going to do with Samuel and ask him to win near the line of scrimmage. I just don't think Jason Garrett's the right person to make that happen. I don't either. By the way, that, that last draft that Dave Goodman had in Carolina, also the, the draft where the Denver Broncos selected one Carlos Henderson. There we go. Right in front of Chris Godwin and then shortly in front of Kenny Galladay. Whoops. Uh, Carlos Henderson now with these uh, the Rough Riders in the CFL. Um, let me ask you two, two more quick ones and we'll get out of here. Uh, I'm curious about your, what was your most surprising fall on that first day of the draft? Just somebody who went further than maybe you thought they would and it can easily be a Sante Samuel if that's the answer. Ooh, would that be your answer? Yeah, that would have been my answer or my, my, yeah, I think that would be my answer, but I, I thought he was going to go the first round. Dude's just a ball hawk. I, I don't, Draft players. Why, why are we, it feels like that one got overthought a little bit in the same vein as Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This guy, father's a pro, pro, former professional football player. Yeah. So you know, he knows how to operate in the league. You know, he knows how to be a, be a professional. Um, you know, he has the athletic traits by virtue of his bloodlines and he made plays in college. I'm not sure why there's a need to overthink that and not, uh, pursue a guy like that. This isn't necessarily answering your question, but I just want to talk about him. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Elijah Moore. Oh yeah, no, no, that's a good answer. Um, second pick of the second round with the New York Jets. I understand that they've brought in Corey Davis. They drafted Denzel Mims last year and both of those wide receivers really fit with what Zach Wilson did at BYU in terms of, Hey, I'm going to destroy my wide receivers leverage and then throw <laughs> a contested ball. And <laughs> both, both of those guys, not to criticize the guy, he's actually really fun to watch, but that, that's what he did a lot at BYU. And obviously those receivers won against like Houston and, North Alabama and UTSA and all that kind of stuff. Now, Jamison Crowder is in the slot and, and working closer to the line of scrimmage, but Mike LaFleur has been working with Kyle Shanahan for years now, yeah. right? And 2014. And, right. And so if we can try to predict, maybe he wants some influence from Kyle Shanahan. Kyle's like number one thing with pass catchers are yards after catch threats. There's sure. no one on the Jets that can do that other than Elijah Moore. And so. Where Jamison Crowder is right now with his contract, I'm not saying they need to cut him because 
there's no use for that money anywhere and they have a lot. Um, but maybe they trade him for like a sixth or a seventh round selection. I think Elijah Moore can go in there immediately and be that yards after catch demon underneath and just be that, that playmaker that they are sorely missing if they're going to have some Shanahan influence on that roster. And I'm pumped. I can't wait to see Elijah Moore in the NFL. Is Elijah Moore capable of sort of filling that Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, I guess Debo is probably the, the better comp yeah. for him in that role. I, I think Debo is more of an uncommon talent. Yeah. Then, then we probably give him credit for, but, but yeah, at least compared to the other receivers that they brought in that are downfield contested catch types, uh, Elijah Moore is the closest thing they have on that roster to just selecting. And then I love the Michael Carter selection too. I did, I did too. That was, I, I really like the Jets draft. That's what I I know. I, I, I think it probably depends on how you feel about Zach Wilson. Yeah. And whether he was he, was he your second quarterback? I don't remember which. He was my third quarterback behind Lance and Fields. Oh. No, 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 sorry. Lawrence, Lawrence and Fields. Lawrence and Fields and then Wilson. Okay. So, so you're fine with Wilson. At, you would have taken Fields, but you're fine with Wilson at two, I would assume then. At, like trading up and grabbing Elijah Vera Tucker right when the talent drops off and you get more at the top of the second round. And then as you point out, Carter was a really nice ad. I, I don't know how good the defense will be, but it's, they've, they've certainly started to put some pieces in place where I, I can, I hate, I hate predicting the Jets to be in good know. all, but I can, I can kind of see it coming together a little bit, Josh. Yeah. Have you seen their corners? And I know that like they don't care about corners. Okay, um, I wouldn't I like, be surprised like if that's where Richard oh. Sherman ends up, by the way. Oh, that's, that's a pretty good bet. Now that he's, cause the, see, we're recording this on a Wednesday and then I think the comp pick formula had just passed. Correct. Presumably they were like, listen, Richard, we'll get you. Just correct. Chill until the comp, comp, comp thing goes through. Yeah. I mean, they, they're not, they're not loaded at cornerback. Uh, what about was, was Alex Leatherwood the most surprising reach of a team? It, it is, it is too in vogue and too easy to bash Dude. the Raiders, but I mean, huh. um, I mean, <laughs> again, back with these press conferences, Mike Mayock opened his, his delivery by saying, Oh, we knew everyone's going to be critical of this selection. <laughs> well, okay. Then maybe trade back, dude. I know. Like, um, I also, they trotted out Mike Mayock as the only person in these draft press conferences for three days where you see all these other teams put their head coach and GM, sometimes even scout, sometimes director of player personnel. I mean, he's the meat shield. He's the yeah. bullet shield because we know Mike's not calling the shots there. No, he's not making any of the picks. Right. He's, and he certainly has like plenty of influence. That's, do you, do you recall if last year it was the same thing or was? I, I can't remember, but I, I do remember like the Reggie McKenzie years and it was both of them together. Yeah. I'll tell you the funniest thing with that. This is a little sidebar, but when it was Rex Ryan and Doug Whaley, uh, back with the Bills. Yeah. Um, Rex Ryan was the only one doing that. They would do separate ones. And then Rex Ryan went out there the first two days <laughs> and just was handing out starting jobs. Like he's like, Oh yeah, Shaq Lawson's going to play 80% of the snaps for us. Reggie Ragland's going to play and start at linebacker. They like, T- Oh, TJ Graham's going to be our starting wide receiver. And then, and they pulled them away for like, on day three, and we're like, you're you're not doing this anymore because you're just screwing all this up for everyone <laughs> on the roster. Everybody, that this is going to happen, please. Stop. Right, right. Um, but back to yeah, back to the the Raiders. So Mayock, and again, this tells you who's making the decisions. Said that Alex Leatherwood was Tom Cable's number one player at offensive line, that like his favorite player in this class. Mm-hmm. So, I, it's just a team I don't believe in right now. I, yeah, I don't either. And and it's it's also one in previous years that just has no concept of value. At all, like the Cleveland Furrow pick and in the top five when 
like, oh, let's keep this close to our vest. And, oh, people would have liked him more if if uh, Mike Mayock was on the media side. No, nah, people just wouldn't like him because he's an average football player. Yeah. You know? You're talking like, fourth. Like, yeah. that, that, to have three first-round picks and to come away with a running back who's, who's pretty – Josh Jacobs is a good player, but he's a running back. And Cleveland Farrell, who you overdrafted, and – um, there's the freaking safety. Uh, Jonathan Abram. Jonathan Abram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and, that's not what you do with three first round picks. No. I got to read this to you. So this is my next quote. We knew it would be controversial. We did a lot of homework on it. We think our offensive line can be one of the best in the league. We want to be a power football team that runs the ball with Josh Jacobs. Leatherwood is going to start at right tackle for us in day one and see if he can hold on to that job. Um, how many teams across the league are like, we want to be a power football team with Josh Jacobs and then go and sign Kenyon Drake for a bunch of money? It made no, their offseason made no sense. Also, you want to be a power run team? You, that's great. You, you put together this really good offensive line and you just keep it up. Like, yeah. what, what are you doing? Yeah. It, it was, it was very curious. I think to your point about the press conference though, Josh, is I would, I think people have been starting to question John Gruden's, whether John Gruden's job status. And when that starts, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Guess you get to question because guess who's the one answering all the questions when Antonio Brown doesn't report and he has to be the one out there in the press conferences. Now Mike Mayock is the meat shield. Mike is the first one that's going to go from that group. That tells me that if him doing that press conference by himself tells me that John Gruden is, a, is telling Mark Davis, these are Mike's guys. These guys, I guess. Groceries, this guys are getting me. You know, like Parcells always say, the groceries suck, man. I can tell it to tell you, man. Um, and it feels like he's positioning Mayock to be the fall, the fall guy, guy after yep. this, after this, after this season, if and when the Raiders don't make the playoffs. And then Gruden will hire somebody else who's, and I don't blame Mayock for taking the job because it's, it's hard to get a job. It's hard to get a GM job for the media. Yeah. That just immediately was a tough one because your head coach who has all the power has a 10 year contract. Yeah. And is notoriously fickle and, and, right. and wants to do what he, what he wants to do. Um, all right. I think that's it. Unless you have any, any, anything else that like shocked you from the, from the draft or that, or in a team that like popped out and as, and I, I, I hate to do this to you because I, I hate no, you're good. But like, no, no, I mean the, the very vague, like, like you know, you get on the radio and somebody's like, all right, what, you know, you know, give me a team that really popped out to you. And you're like, I'm like, oh. Yeah. We've, we've, we've both been there way too many times. So we know how to adjust in these circumstances. That's right. I'm like the Giants. Yeah. Um, oh, I know, I know, I know the Bears. Yes. I was about to bring them up because yeah, we, we talked about Trey Lance starting early, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. if Mac Jones outplays Cam Newton, maybe that only lasts for about two or three weeks of the NFL season. Just because, in our opinion, I don't, I'm just guessing you like Justin Fields as well. Just yeah, a hunch. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like him until the Clemson game. Okay. And I was like, all right, this guy's. I'm not, I'm not doubting this guy. Are you kidding me? So just because Ryan Pace did a good thing by drafting Justin Fields, that doesn't mean he's going to follow it up with another good thing of starting him along with Matt Nagy. So something from their press conference four or five times. Oh, this is unbelievable. They brought up, Oh, we want to do the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes thing. And I believe them. Oh, yeah. I believe them. Like they think that that is the ideal way either to groom a quarterback or to keep their job for another year. Now, I also think if we look back on that move, one, Patrick Mahomes got one start, and he freaking torched the Denver Broncos defense. Yes, he just did. Ama- just a- a imagine. Good, 
them yeah. good different defense too. And just imagine what that season could have been. Maybe if Patrick Mahomes started, you know, like yeah. this, this isn't a, Oh, he's great. Now we know that just because he sat. And I, I truly believe that Pace and Nagy want to start Andy Dalton for a year, like no matter what, unless a Justin Herbert situation comes a calling. Well, but, go ahead. I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember in 2017, back to that same old draft when they traded up and took Mitchell Trubisky and Glennon. It, very meanly, because my good friend Mike, Mike Lennon is actually my friend, and and to to take to put him to that take him to that draft party and make him sit there and like not tell him what was happening, very rude. But afterwards, they said this exact same stuff about Mitchell Trubisky. It is almost verbatim. They were like, "We're going to start Mike. Mike's our guy. We want to go with Mike." And what happens is you don't win football games with Andy Dalton, or you don't win enough football games with Andy Dalton, and so then you panic about your job. The, the it feels like what the bears are, the bears are operating in job security mode. And that doesn't go well usually when it comes to NFL uh, franchises. I, I can't wait to see Justin Fields in the NFL. Um, it's, it, it seems like such a disconnect between what we thought of him on the outside and what the NFL viewed him on the inside that I can't wait to see what his development looks like. Cause, and will we get preseason games? I know you love preseason. I, I freaking love preseason games because I'd almost rather take three preseason games of action versus 16 college football games. So like get a feel for who a player is and what they can do and all that kind of stuff. And having five rookie quarterbacks plus the other three that went, uh, just to see where they're at and what they might be doing on the teams that have them. Uh, it, it's really enticing to me. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun season to watch because we have lots of storylines involving all these quarterbacks are the only thing we talked about leading up to the draft. Uh, Josh, make sure and follow, follow Josh at Josh Norris on Twitter and go to underdog. Is it, is it underdog.com or underdogsports.com? Underdog fantasy. It was like the third choice that you had in your head. Oh no, I, I, I just have the app. Just go download the yeah, app. Go that's download perfect. The underdog app. The website actually works really well too. I was checking it out and use, is it promo code Josh Norris? Yes, sir. And, uh, they'll, he'll, he'll plug in Josh Norris in there. They'll let you know you're a listener. And uh, I'm sure we will be talking about leading up to the season, uh, how to, uh, draft, uh, some best ball drafts on this podcast. Oh, yes. And check out the Underdog Fantasy Podcast as well. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Well, anytime, man. Good talking with you. Likewise, dude. Greetings, fantasy warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.